it all began with a conversation. Actually, two conversations. The first conversation happened between the Apostle Paul and God. Paul was on his second missionary journey. He and a guy named Silas had been commissioned by the church to go into places they had not been before to share the gospel. And when they got to a certain point, they started to go into one region where Paul's like, you know what, I think this is the place to go. And what Luke, the physician who recorded the story for us in Acts chapter 16 says is that, is that when he got and started down that road, it literally says the Holy Spirit blocked him. Like, no, Paul. <laughs> That is not where you're supposed to go. So Paul then went back into prayer, and he, he felt God like leading him to another place. And so he started down, and again, Holy Spirit said, no, not supposed to go there. So what do you do when God says no? When the conversation with God is like, stop. You're going the wrong direction. That's not what I want you to do. Well, what Paul did was he stood still, and he waited. And sure enough, within a few days, in the middle of the night, in a dream, he, he heard from God. And, and what happened was that this, this dream was of a, a man from a place called Macedonia. It wasn't a place that Paul had ever thought about going. It wasn't on his travel plan. <laughs> he didn't have, like, the address in his GPS, go to Macedonia. <laughs> Directions here, take this long. No. But what he heard the man say in his dream changed the course of history. Because here's what the man said. The Macedonian man in the dream from the Apostle Paul said this. Please come and help us. Please come and help us. When Paul woke up, he knew. This is where God wanted him to go. So he and Silas and Luke, the physician, and Timothy, the, the traveling party with, with Paul, got up and they went into Macedonia. When they got there, they arrived in a city called Philippi. It was a port city. It was a business center. People came from all around there to do business. But it was a place where there were very few Jewish people. And if you remember anything you've ever read in the New Testament, you know that Paul was a, was a Jewish man who believed in Jesus Christ, who had been converted to be a follower of Jesus after he had persecuted people who were followers of Jesus. And his pattern throughout the book of Acts, whenever he's going into a place, is he goes to the Jewish synagogue in the city because the Jewish nation had spread around the world and there were synagogues in all kinds of cities. But if in Philippi, there wasn't a synagogue. But Paul knew that if there wasn't a synagogue, it was because there weren't enough Jewish men to constitute the creation of a synagogue. And so, so what Paul did was, was he went down to choice B for a Jewish man traveling internationally. And that was to go to what was referred to as the place of prayer. And what Luke tells us is that when, when he got to the place of prayer, which was usually outside a city gate, the, the Jewish people, primarily women, because that's why there wasn't a synagogue, there weren't enough men to, to facilitate the synagogue, and in the Jewish faith, there, there had to be X number of men in order for there to be a, a, a synagogue. And, 
And, and so the women would gather outside the gate on the Sabbath to pray. And that's where the second conversation happened. First conversation, Paul and God. Second conversation is between Paul and a group of women sitting by the riverside who had gathered to worship Yahweh, gathered to worship God. And in that conversation, even though he was responding to a dream of a Macedonian man saying, come and help us, now suddenly here are these women who are searching for God. And there's a lady, a businesswoman there. Her name was Lydia, bright lady. A lady who had a large household because her business had grown and so she was supporting the, the wider family as well as her nuclear family. And, and she was there doing business, but she was what was referred to as a God-fearer. She wasn't Jewish, but she was curious about God. She, like some of us, she had questions and she wanted to know who God really was. And so she had gathered with these Jewish women outside the city gate. And there, there she was worshiping God when this Paul showed up. And as he began to talk about Jesus, as he began to have the conversation with these women about Messiah and who was Messiah and, and the fact that Messiah wasn't supposed to be some political ruler or wasn't supposed to be some military conqueror, but, but instead he was a suffering servant. The, the Messiah that was really promised in the Old Testament was, was a Messiah who would die on a cross and take the sins of the world. Something inside of Lydia shifted and Lydia Lydia found herself wanting to follow Jesus. She said to Paul and those traveling with him, hey, listen, I know you're strangers in this place. Well, why don't you come stay with me and my people? I'll feed you dinner. I'll give you a place to sleep. And so Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy found their way in a foreign place to the birth of relationships. And staying with Lydia, they began to, to go into the public places of Philippi and talk about, talk about who Jesus was because of a conversation, a conversation with God, a conversation with a person. And on their way back and forth to the public places to have more conversations with more people about who Jesus was, there was this girl who, who was well known in the city of Philippi. You see, she was a fortune teller. She, she was someone who, who could look at someone and, and tell their, for, their future for a price. <laughs> for a price. She could tell you the, your future, and, and yet it was for a price because she was a slave girl. And her masters, her owners, would send her out into the city to make money for them. It wasn't for herself. She was literally being prostituted. She was literally being trafficked for her gift. And when Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke were going back and forth, Luke tells us that every day as they would go back and forth, this girl would follow them and she would shout, you need to listen to these men. They're servants of the most high God. And it wasn't really sincere. It was kind of in a mocking tone. And it started, it started to annoy Paul. Now you need to know, I love it when New Testament writers tell us the humanity of New Testament heroes. <laughs> because most of us are not heroes. 
most of us are human. In fact, if I look around the room, everybody I see is human, all right? For those of you who are online, I'm assuming you're human as well. And what happens? Well, I realize artificial intelligence does pick up the stream and do things with it, but that's another whole discussion, all right? But, but here's what I know. I know that when Paul got annoyed, he turned and looked at the girl and realized that what she was doing wasn't really her. It was coming from her oppression. It was coming from her possession by this spirit. And so annoyed Paul turns and looks at her and says, hey. And he doesn't talk to her. He talks to the demon inside of her. See, sometimes we tend to confuse the two in our conversations. Sometimes we tend to talk at people and dehumanize people instead of recognizing what's making them act the way they're acting. And what Paul did was he addressed that spirit and he said, you leave her alone. Come out of her. What is he saying? He's saying, look, this is one of God's children. This is somebody who belongs to God. You can't have her, Satan. You can't have her, demon. You can't take care of her life because God has a better plan for her life. And immediately, the oppressive spirit left her. And she was suddenly set free. When word got back to her owners that suddenly their meal ticket was gone. <laughs> suddenly the income stream had been reduced. Suddenly what happens is that they're not happy men about this and so they get the authorities and they have Paul and Silas arrested. And so Paul and Silas are arrested and they're in jail and they're being oppressed now for what they've done humanly oppressed, not demonically, not spiritually, because what we know is that spiritually they were still so connected to God that they were having another conversation with Jesus because what Luke tells us in Acts chapter 16 is that when they were arrested and put in jail, in the middle of the night, Paul and Silas began to sing. And they began to sing the praises of God. Now see, a lot of people, I don't know if you've ever been in jail or not, if you have, you're going to understand what I'm about to say. If you've ever worked in a jail ministry, you're going to understand what I'm about to say. See, a lot of people in jail sing, but they don't sing about God. There are some others who don't sing at all. But there are those few. There are those who have had a conversation with Jesus, those who have been converted as to followers of Jesus, and, and that's who Paul and Silas were. And in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the night, in their jail cell, they are singing praises to God when suddenly it shakes the whole world. I mean, literally, there was an earthquake. Literally, there was a shaking of the jail, so much so that the doors of the jail flew open. And when the doors of the jail flew open... And the earthquake is rumbling through the city. The jailer, who was a retired Roman soldier who had made a, who had made a, a, a deal with Rome that he would be paid more in his retirement to simply watch the jail instead of go fight the battles. But part of that was that if he ever lost a prisoner, he would sacrifice his life because he lost the prisoner. Comes running into the jail and, and now in the darkness... He begins with the torches to see that all the jail doors are open. The, and, and, and he immediately pulls his sword out because he assumed the worst. And he, and he 
and he took the sword and he's about to take his own life when out of the darkness comes this voice. It's another conversation. Paul says, hey, don't hurt yourself. We're all still here. All of us in my cell and everybody else, nobody's run away. You don't have to sacrifice your life. Immediately the jailer's like, somebody get all the torches lit. Let's make sure. Do a head count. And when he does a head count, all the guys are there. Every inmate is in their cell. He doesn't have to take his life to fulfill his vow to Rome. And now suddenly he turns at Paul and says, aren't you the guys that were singing? <laughs> and he falls on his knees and asks Paul, how can I be saved? He knew why Paul was in jail. Who is this Jesus you've been talking about that would literally make you stay in a jail cell you don't have to stay in in order to protect my life? That would literally let you become a servant to me in order to help me. Who, what kind of, how do I follow him? And Paul, Paul says, well, it's about a conversation. You simply say to Jesus, Jesus, will you be in control of my life? And what happens is that that man becomes a believer. He takes Paul and Silas home with him. And then all of his family become believers. In fact, when the authorities come the next day and ask for Paul and Silas, this man actually becomes an advocate for Paul and Silas. And I tell you those stories about those conversations that all started with a conversation where God said no. And a conversation with a businesswoman and a slave girl and a retired Roman soldier who worked in a jail. Because today, Jesus wants to have a conversation with you. Because this series that we're launching today is a deep dive into this letter that Paul wrote to those people that I just described to you. Decades later, after they had continued to tell the people in Philippi about who Jesus was, after Paul and Silas and the evangelistic company they led had moved to other cities, here's, here they are, and Paul writes to them. And in writing to them, he, he lets them know that, that they are indeed, they are indeed people whose lives have been built by God. And this, this fall here at Eastside, what we want to do over the next few weeks is talk to you, whether you've been a Christian for a long time, whether you're, you're a brand new Christian, or whether you're not a Christian yet and you're just thinking about what it is. We want to talk to you about, about what it means to let God build your life. Because what we know is that when we build our lives, we end up messing them up. And maybe that's where you are. Maybe right now your life is going great and it's going to your plan and you've got, a, you've got a plan and step A and step B and step C and you're fulfilling it and boy, you're manifesting your destiny and all that other stuff. Now listen to me. You can't manifest what God wants to make real because it's not about what you manifest. It's not what you imagine. It's not what you dream about. No, no, listen. God has bigger dreams for you than you do. God had bigger dreams for Paul than the ones Paul had. 
God had bigger dreams for Lydia than to just make a bunch of money. God had bigger dreams for a slave girl who could tell the future than for her to spend her life in oppression and trafficking. God had bigger dreams for a retired Roman soldier. And God has bigger dreams for you. And today and throughout these next few weeks, we're going to investigate this letter. We're going we're to look at what Paul said to these people. And, and when we do, we're going we're to discover something. We're going to discover the foundation of a life. Today, we're going to talk about a foundation. Where's the foundation come from? We're going to talk about today who the builder is. And we're going to talk today about where you find the blueprint. And today, I, I really want you to walk away knowing those three things. Knowing knowing what it takes from these conversations with God and these conversations with people to discover what it is. And for those of you who are later on in your years and you're thinking to yourself, well, pastor, it's kind of late for me. I've kind of lived my life. Oh, no, you've just started. Until the day you step into heaven, you still have an opportunity for God to build a life you never dreamed possible. So let's look at how God builds a life. The first thing is this. For the follower of Jesus, a person who's going to be a follower of Jesus, you have to understand that the foundation, the way a life gets built, is that it's built on a foundation of relationships. It's not a foundation of accomplishments. It's not a foundation of intellect. It's not a foundation of power. It's not a foundation of greed. It's not a foundation of influence. No, no, no. The way God builds a life is through the, the, the foundation of relationships. Listen as I read for you the way that came to fruition in these people's lives in Philippi when Paul wrote to them, all these years later. From Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's people who belong to Christ Jesus at Philippi, and to all your officials and officers, I pray that God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ will be kind to you and will bless you with peace. Every time I think of you, I thank my God, and whenever I mention you in my prayers, it makes me happy. This is because you have taken part with me in the spreading of the good news from the first day you heard about it. Paul, Paul writes to these people and says, listen, from the very first conversation, you were willing to say to Jesus, Jesus, take control of my life. You were willing to say to Jesus, Jesus, let me have a relationship with you. Let me grow in that relationship with you. Let me, let me build my life on that kind of foundation, a foundation that is full of conversations. So, I get a little frightened at people who want to boil Christianity down to a set of rules and regulations that rule out the conversations. I, I get a little frightened for the people who want to turn Christianity into a religious system because, because when you take something that is vibrant and alive and you pull the lifeblood out of it, you suddenly crack the foundation. Uh, when I uh, went to my first church as a senior pastor in Chattanooga, Tennessee, I remember showing up and, 
and the board talking to me about the things they wanted to get done, the things that needed to happen. And one, one of the board members who was a builder, a contractor, actually a brick mason, uh, said to me, uh, Pastor, we got one part of the church that we really need to fix. Said it's one of the older parts. Um, I helped build it. And when we built it, um, I let my father-in-law help. Shouldn't have let him do that. Because he didn't really know how to lay brick and he didn't really do it. And somehow we messed up in the foundation. And so, and they took me back to this little room. Now, there was a beautiful nursery across the hall that looked great. And then there was a toddler room up the hall. And then they took me to the corner room. And, and I noticed it had big people chairs in it, right? I mean, that's not the normal place. You put big people chairs next to the nursery and the toddler room. And I said, why, why is this an adult room? I mean, I, I just had Christian education classes at Anderson University. I, I knew what ought to happen, right? So, hey, here you go. We ought to be having more children in here. Well, we can't put the children in here. We tried that. Well, why is that? Look, pastor, and I look, and there's this concrete block wall on the inside. On the outside, it's brick veneer. And both the brick and the concrete at the corner on one wall and the other wall had gaps two inches wide. The entire, the entire corner of the building was dropping off. And, and, I, and I was like, well, yeah, that's a problem. And I said, so why do you have the, the big people in here? It's pretty ugly. Oh, we don't put the new people in here. We put the old people in here. They can kill the bugs, you know. I'm like, kill the what? Because what, they, what was happening was flies and bugs and mosquitoes and everything. It was Tennessee on the Tennessee-Georgia line. It's like basically North Georgia, y'all. And, and, and so what they, they were try, what they did was their next step until we could get it fixed was to fill it with some kind of foam that just expanded, right? So now you had this ugly thing in it. And so we called in engineers and we called in architect and, and we had them look at it. And, and here's what they said. The foundation is so far gone that the only way you can fix this is to tear it down and build a new foundation. And, I, and don't build it on the top of that one. Go out several feet and do a whole new excavation and put all new footers in and a whole new foundation down. And that's what we did. I've never forgotten that. Because see, I believe that the real foundation of a life built by God is based in relationships that are built on God. Did you notice when I read it? Paul says, to all the people in Philippi who are followers of Jesus, all the people of Jesus, see, if you want a life better than any life you can dream of, now I'm not saying a life where there's not heartache. I'm not saying a life where you don't face death I'm not saying a life where you don't have hard times. Any of us who've lived life a little while understand there are tough days. Life is never easy. But life is always good when you allow God to put a foundation of relationships to build a totally new one. See, for some of you, you're going to have to let go of some old relationships in order to let God build you some new relationships. I mean, the Apostle Paul is an example of that in lots of places in his life. I mean, he was a Pharisee among Pharisees until he met Jesus. He was a student of Gamaliel, one of the greatest Jewish rabbis in the first century. But now he's become a student of Jesus. See, the reality is, if you want a life that God has for you, 
you have to allow God to be the builder of your life. See, followers of Jesus, followers of Jesus are people who understand that God is the one who builds. There's this beautiful old psalm, Psalm 127. Some of you may have memorized it or you've heard it in church before. And it, and it says this. It says, unless the Lord builds a house, the laborers labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, then the watchmen watch over it in vain. Now, I'll be quite candid. That's a, that's a, a scripture that's used a lot with churches when they're trying to build a new building and raise money. And, and preachers preach about it. And God's going to build this house. And we're going to start this church. And we're going to plant this opportunity. And you know, unless the Lord builds it. Hey, listen to me. Do you know who wrote that psalm? Solomon. That 127th psalm is a song of Solomon, not David. Because, see, David raised all the money for the temple, but it was Solomon, his son, who became the king of Israel and had the temple built. And when Solomon, who had gone through the building of the temple with the resources raised by his father, now suddenly is writing a song for the people whenever they come into the place that God has provided, and they sing this song, unless the Lord builds this house, laborers labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchmen watch over in vain. What they're saying is the truth that, that Paul would later say to the church in Philippi, the truth that I want you to hear today. If your foundation is not in relationship with Jesus Christ and relationship with those who can walk with you through the hard times, then you've got to know your foundation is cracked at best and falling out at worst. And God wants to build a new foundation. But listen, you've got to let him do it. He is the builder. That's what Solomon knew. Unless the Lord builds your life. But my friend, he wants to build your life. Listen again to Paul's words as he writes to these people he knew. God is the one who began this good work in you. And I'm certain that he won't stop before it is complete on the day that Christ Jesus returns. Paul's saying, look, I didn't start this conversation. I was trying to go some other places. It was God who spoke to me in a dream. It was God who brought me to your city. It was God who led me outside the city gate. It was God who put Lydia at the gate. It was God who put the slave girl there. It was God who kept us in the jail cell when the earthquake hit. See, what Solomon knew and what Paul knew and what I'm praying you learn is that for those who follow Jesus, the foundation has to be this relationship with Jesus and relationship with his people. And in that relationship, we have to allow God to be the builder, not us. And when God is the builder of the life that he wants to do for you, you get a better life than you ever dreamed possible. A lot of you know my story that Becky and I, when we were married, after seven years of being married and trying to have children. We were told we couldn't have children. And God blessed us, gave us our first son, 
and then gave us our second son as a double blessing. And my first son is a college professor, and he's single. And um, we pray daily that some woman would want to marry a college professor. That's just a daily prayer. But my second son, my second son married this beautiful girl that he met at Anderson University. And um, she had to come into our family, which, again, if you know my story, I had sons, no daughters. I had brothers, no sisters. I have a niece who, when she was born, was the first, first female child in my family in over 25 years. It's like a family full of testosterone. It's a scary kind of place. And, and my daughter-in-law is a wonderful young lady who, who married, in, married my son. Just the very fact that she would do that thrilled my heart. But then God blessed them. And because we, were, because we couldn't have children, all of my friends had children. All of my friends, I mean, I've got friends I went to college with whose, whose children are in college, right? But, my, but, but my, I, have, I have two grandchildren. And, and, and the oldest one will be three this week. And she is in charge of G. Paul. I'll just let you know. And what I, what I know is, and her little sister is following in her footsteps. So suddenly, here I am, this guy with all this maleness in his family and his background. And my poor wife, who is being rewarded for her faithfulness now, because now she has granddaughters. And if you think they got me wrapped around the finger, you ought to come see the stuff she does for them, right? But here's what I know. If I had chosen, my, and I love my granddaughters, they are, the, they are the best in the world. But if you'd let me choose what I wanted for grandchildren, they'd have been six foot four men, 220 pounds, run a four, five, 40, and have NFL prospects. That's what I would have chosen. I said, yeah, that's what I want. Give me one of those. I can tell you right now, I've met a few six foot four NFL prospects running four, five. I love my granddaughters more every time. Why? Because God built that life. And what I'm inviting you to is to a place where you can let God build that life for you. Because if you don't let God build the life and you try to do it for yourself, then you end up not building with the right blueprints. Because you see, for followers of Jesus, for the Jesus follower... Love is the blueprint. Love is the blueprint that will build a life. Uh, several years ago, Becky and I were out in San Jose, California with some pastor friends for a few days, and, and we were in a conference-type setting. There was some free time, and a group of us got together, and somebody said, hey, let's do something touristy. And I said, well, what do you want to do? Well, let, let, let's, let's go to the Winchester house. I'm like, what's the Winchester house? I'm like, oh, it's this house that was built by this lady who's, whose husband invented the Winchester rifle, and it's a haunted house. I said, no, so we're preachers, and we're going to a haunted house. I'm like, yeah, that's what we want to do. I'm like, okay. So we go, and we see this house, and this lady, the, the story that they told us on the tour was that this lady, you know, she lost her husband, she lost her mother, she lost her mother-in-law, she lost a daughter. She had all this death in her family, and she became obsessed 
um, with trying to connect with those spirits, and, and the house was haunted, and she, because she believed that if she just kept building, she had all this money from the Winchester rifles, and, and so if she, if she just kept building, this is the story they're telling you on the tour, if, you know, all, all, if she just kept somebody building, then she would stay alive, but as soon as she stopped building, she would die. That's the story on the tour. Here's the problem. It's not true. I mean, there are stairs that go up to nowhere and doors that open to walls. And there's all, but he, do, you, do you know why? It, it's because this lady who had inherited all this money and who had, had all this loss had these amazing dreams that, of what she could create and architecturally, and she was fascinated by it. And so she had the money, so she just decided, you know what? I, I, and then she saw workers around her who were not getting work, and so she wanted to keep people working. And so for years and years and years, she would come up with a design herself. She never had an architect. She never had an engineer. She would come up with a design, hire a carpenter, hire a plumber, whatever she needed to do to do that part of the house. And then just with her own design, she built this house and then in 1906, an earthquake hit in San Francisco, San Jose, that whole area. And that earthquake, I mean, entire portions of the house just fell down. And so instead of rebuilding it, they just tore it down. So now you have, where there used to be a balcony, there's a door that goes out into the air. Where there used to be a kitchen and one part of it. She never moved back in the house. But here's the deal. Because there were no blueprints... Because she had no sense of, sense of plan. She was just designing what she wanted to design. And because she had a, a, a real desire to, to help people stay employed out of her wealth. People, you can't sell tickets for people to walk through a house for somebody like that. If you tell somebody that the house is haunted, you get 25 bucks a pop out of them, all right? And you teach, the, you teach the, the people telling you the stories to tell the, all those seance stories, and then you get everybody else. And here's the deal. They said she was crazy because they didn't understand her. And here's what I know. If you try to build your life out of your intellect, if you try to build your life out of your own abilities, without a blueprint, without a, with, without God's design for your life, just out of your own design, they're going to say you're crazy too. People are going to look at your life and go, what in the world? But if you will trust Jesus Christ, if you will build on a foundation of a relationship with him and a relationship with his people, if you will allow God to be the builder, then here's what will happen. The blueprint he gives you is one marked by love. Listen to the way Paul described it when he talked to Lydia and the jailer and the slave girl and all the people who had come to know Jesus. You have a special place in my heart, so it is only natural for me to feel the way that I do. All of you have helped in the work God has given me as I defend the good news and tell about it here in jail. He falls in jail again when he writes the letter. God himself knows how much I want to see you. He knows I care for you in the same way Christ Jesus cares for you. I pray that your love will keep on growing and you will fully know and understand how to make the right choices. Then you will still be pure and innocent when Christ returns. And until that day, Jesus Christ will keep you busy doing good deeds that bring glory and praise to God. You want a life that brings you joy? You want a life that brings you fulfillment and meaning. Let God build it.
with a blueprint of love and a foundation of relationships. I'm going to ask you, if you would, if you're on campus, to stand with me. There's a song that came out a few years ago. I specifically ask that we sing it today. And I, I ask because I believe this is a song that, that really becomes important for us to say who we want God to be in our life. So if you don't know it, I invite you to learn it. If you do know it, I invite you to sing it with us because God has a plan for your life if you'll let him be the builder.
one of the traditions we have here at Eastside is that on this Sunday before university classes begin at Ball State and at Taylor and IWU and Anderson University or anywhere else you may be a college student is we like to pray for our college students but we also like to pray for our students in K through 12 as well and that's why earlier in the service in our announcements we shared with you this QR code for praying for our schools what this is is simply a way for you to to pray for the children teachers the educators administration in both public and private schools our church is located quite literally within one mile of a private school and a public elementary school and another public elementary school and an intermediate school and within three miles of the city's middle school and so what I'm and, and many of you live in other parts of the county and, and so what I'm gonna ask you to do is we're gonna put that that uh, screen the, the slide is up with the QR code and before you leave today I'm gonna ask you to like take a picture of the QR code it'll direct you to a form that you can just let us know which school you're praying for you don't have to go to the school if you do go please get permission from whoever particularly the security officer all right but we want to invite you to pray for these folks and those of you who are university students who are here on campus in this service I'm gonna ask you to do something I realize some of your freshmen some of your upperclassmen whatever year you are and wherever you are if you're in the balcony or on the main floor would you could you just for a minute while these other people are taking a picture of that QR code could you just come and meet me down here I want to pray for you as well as for these schools so students from wherever you are I, I saw some DC's who had people here earlier some of you come around I, I think I see a couple of guys I baptized in the Dominican over there alright hadn't seen these guys since summer it's good to see Good to see you guys, man. I'm going to embarrass Eli and Bryson. Come here a minute, guys. I, I want, uh, come, come up here where the rest of them can see. Uh, wait a minute. Stay there. I'm tall as you now. Okay. No, no. So come, come on up here on the main. Say, here's what God does. God gave me an opportunity to baptize these two guys in the Dominican Republic on a, on a missions trip in 18 inches of water, maybe. 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 That's pushing it just a little bit. Okay. And, uh, and there, it was... Uh, you're six seven, yeah. And on you're six on a good day, yeah. and you're six four, yeah. And I'm five what nothing. Okay, so um, I, I just I, I just I'm proud of these guys and the opportunity that uh, that they gave me to be a part of that. I'm also proud that God gave me knees that would allow me to get on them so we could do that. You can step down now, guys. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to embarrass you that much. All right. Well, yeah, I did. All right. Um, but but here's the deal. I'm proud of you all, and we want to pray for you for a year like no other year you've ever had, ever in your life, in terms of God's presence, all right? Let's pray together. Hey God, uh, classes start tomorrow, and upperclassmen are still moving in, and freshmen have already shown up, and there's a whole lot of clean slate before a lot of us. And Lord, we know that you 
are more than able to build a life for us that will take us through the hard times, that will give us joy, that will give us peace, that will give us strength. And right now, some of, the, some of these folks have already, from, whether they're students or not, we, we've already got stuff in our life. Lord, we, we've had funerals here in the church in the last 10 days. We've got families that are grieving. Some of these young men and young women have family back home that are going through hard times. Some of them don't know exactly what the future holds, but here's what we know. You hold it, and you will build your house, and you will build our lives if we'll let you. So right now, I pray your blessing over them. Lord, for those, for those who've never seen a syllabus, I pray that you'd give them wisdom when the professor gives them one tomorrow. And I pray that you would be glorified in all that we say and do. For it's in the strong name of Jesus that we pray.